Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. You know, it's something about this time of year and just even when you think about this series, A Thrill of Hope, there's something about hope. I mean, think about it. Think about when your sports team starts a new season. If you don't have a sports team, just bear with us for a moment. But, but when, when a new manager or coach is hired, there is hope. It, it, this morning, it, before the 815 service, I heard some guys talking about football. They were talking about K-State and KU. Now, hope for KU fans in football season is a win. Hope for those at K-State is much higher than that. They want bowl game and, you know, doing serious stuff, right? Look, look, there are coaches and things that, that come along, and when a new coach is hired, there's promises, there's excitement, there's hope. It doesn't always work out that way. One of the great sports promises that has been made in recent years is a number of years ago, a a guy by the name of LeBron James was coming out of high school and he was, he was going to get drafted and he got drafted by his hometown team, essentially. He was born and raised in Akron, Ohio. But he was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cleveland, what a wonderful place. Incredible. If you're from there, don't feel bad, but it's on Lake Erie, snow, and just, oh, just keeping with the theme, right? And look, look, talking about LeBron James, it's appropriate to talk about Le- LeBron James on a Sunday because his nickname is King James. Hey, look, he goes to Cleveland, and there's all this hope that they're going to win a championship in Cleveland. The problem is they don't. Cleveland is a a city that has been championshiplessness for all kinds of years. Like, it's terrible. And they finally think he's going to deliver. Look, they hadn't won a major sports championship in Cleveland in any sport since 1964. That was football, baseball, 1948, basketball, never. And they were hopeful that LeBron James would deliver. And we know the story, right? He, he, he leaves Cleveland without a championship. He goes to Miami, and what happens? He wins a championship. Now the people in Cleveland are really bitter. If losing your football team, the old Cleveland football team, going to Baltimore and having them win two Super Bowls isn't enough. Now your hometown hero goes to Miami and wins a championship. Oh, but all is not lost. He comes back to Cleveland and promises they're going to win a championship. And he delivers. LeBron James delivered on his promise, but there's many more that have not. In sports, the country is filled with coaches who didn't deliver on their promises in college and professional sports, and they have found other jobs. They were told to move on. Look, today we're going to start with a promise that was given at least 6,000 years ago. It was a great promise. The downside of the promise is it, it came as a result of something bad. 
there was good news in the promise. And once the promise was made, it was repeated by God for the next 4,000 years over and over again at different times in different ways. There were times the people had given up. They didn't think the promise was going to happen. But God didn't forget. The first promise was made right after Adam and Eve allowed sin to be introduced into the world. Don't be too upset with Adam and Eve. If it wasn't them, I would have done it, okay? If it had gotten this far, I would have been the one responsible, okay? Get it. I mean, we all would have been guilty. We're all guilty of sin, just like Adam and Eve. But God was not caught off guard. He already had a plan. In the judgment issued to the, to the serpent, we see this message that, that most scholars believe was the first prophecy about the Messiah. Genesis 3, verse 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, the sin had happened and God is coming to bring judgment and, and he brings judgment on the serpent. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all wild animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you sort of had a dislike for snakes? Okay. There is a slight uh, hostility between me and snakes. I mean, I don't go out of my way to find them, but when I do, it's not pretty. I'm going the other direction. I'm, 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 I'm running. Friend of mine one time, it's off the subject, but friend of mine, a good friend, we used to go fishing together. And he was an older gentleman, he was retired, and, and we would go to this pond and we'd just park our car and we'd get out and we'd, there's a rowboat there and we'd just flip that thing over. And we'd get in the pond and go fishing. And the water was crystal clear. You'd cast in there, you'd be real, and you'd watch the bass come and just hit that thing. But one day we get out there and under the boat is a snake. So I'm gone. Like, gone. Like, oh, see ya. John, he, he, he walks over, and he's kind of trying to get the thing to slither off and go, and dumb thing came back at him. John wasn't impressed by the snake at all. In fact, he just picked him up at the tail and slapped him against a tree. Drops to the ground. Goes, I gave you a chance. Like, nah, not me. Not me. Not going to do it. We went on fishing. Came back later. He used to go rattlesnake hunting and stuff like that. I, I would never do that. Whew. But there's a little hostility between me and snakes. And I don't want to be bit. But we go on and continue to read the scriptures. It's, it says, as God is saying this, and here's the prophecy, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. When God is delivering that message to the serpent, he, he's, he's beginning to formulate, he's beginning to formulate the message of how this is going to play out throughout the time of history. And, and for the next 4,000 years, he's going to tell that story over and over again. You heard a little bit of it in the midst of communion when the message was delivered by Isaiah to the king. Prophecy of Emmanuel, God with us. The message that was given to the serpent, but witnessed by Adam and Eve and passed down to Moses so that he could record it so that we would know his plan. Christmas is the beginning of the fulfillment of that promise. And we celebrate it every year. Now let's set the stage for the rest of the story. We're going to fast forward a, 
a few thousand years to about 5 or 6 B.C. To set this up, I want you to think about this for just a moment. And, and if, if you're not married, this is going to work. But if you're married, you remember back to preparation for marriage. There was all kinds of things going on. There, there, was, there was excitement. There was neat stuff. If you're not married, think about those around you who have been, who've lost their minds in the midst of preparation. You've seen it. You've experienced it. You've watched it. You're like, these people were normal. Now they're weird. Think of that. The, the excitement, the planning, the love. It's all going on. But we're going to look at today is a story of an engagement gone bad. In the first century, engagement was way more legally binding than it is today. It, it wasn't even called engagement. But, but you could break off an engagement today and the only thing you really got to deal with is some mad people. Okay, you might lose some deposits and you might get some spray paint across your car, but outside of that, you're going to be okay. In the first century, it was a little more complicated. In the first century, in Nazareth, for Jewish people, it would have been real complicated. In the first century, it would have involved breaking contracts and covenants. See, in the original times, in those time frames, see, parents did things that would never fly today. Arranged marriages. And at the ages of 13, 14 years old, the parents might have already picked out a, a spouse for the, like I've mentioned that just in, you know, just jokingly in my home. Was not received well. I mean, who of you would have wanted your parents to choose your mate for you? I see no takers. <laughs> Okay, but when you see this, this, this what's happened is his parents have chosen two people to get together, and it's Joseph and Mary. You know where we're going. You understand that. See, see, at this point, though, there would have been a bride price that was already paid, a, a price that was paid from the groom's family to the bride's family, sealing the covenant and binding the two families together. So engagement in the first century wasn't just a test period. Really, there was no turning back in that time of betrothal. In order for the, the, the engagement to be broken off, it, it, it took divorce. It took something significant. And Joseph finds out that, that Mary, his, his soon-to-be wife, has, has been gone for, for some time, and she comes back and he finds out she's pregnant. We aren't sure how Joseph finds out. Most likely, Mary told him. But you can, you can imagine his response. Right, Mary has stayed with her cousin Elizabeth for three months and returns and says, I'm pregnant. Joseph knows he's not guilty. I mean, this whole thing has the makings of a daytime talk show thing. I mean, think about what is ex he's experiencing. Think about what Joseph is going through. Mary, is, Mary at least has had some encounters, and she, he, she understands what's happening. Joseph is left to the words of his engaged partner, his fiance, to tell him that she's pregnant and God did it. And she's going to say it this way. It was the Holy Spirit, and Joseph doesn't even know there is a Holy Spirit. I mean, the Holy Spirit has been in operation at different times and different places. We have the scriptures. We can, we can see what's happened. But, but, 
But Joseph doesn't know. And here's where it gets interesting. Because Joseph obviously loves her. He is a kind and compassionate man. He chooses to divorce her quietly and break off the engagement. See, he had two options. Joseph could have done this publicly, or he could do it privately. He chooses privately, and he chooses that. He, he cannot follow through with marrying her, because that would condone what he thinks is Mary's sin of adultery. But divorcing her quietly satisfies that. And it also doesn't shame Mary or put her at risk for death. See, Joseph is an incredible study of mercy and grace. When he was convinced that Mary had done something wrong, he was willing to show kindness. Even when he thought he had been betrayed during the engagement period, he was willing to offer grace. But before he can follow through with his plans to divorce Mary, he has an encounter with an angel in a dream. We find in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, it says, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So here are a few things that I think we can see here. God at work in, in this account and the things that we can take with us as we, we, we look at this passage of Scripture. The first one is this. That God is fully capable of leading his people and us, even if it takes significant divine intervention. Joseph was a good man. We know that he was a descendant of David. We know he was a man, at least, who was trying to follow God. He was, he was trying to do what was right. Everything that we see in the scriptures about Joseph, in the account of Jesus' life, Joseph was trying to do the right thing. I mean, he and Mary bring him on the eighth day to the temple and, 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 and to do the right thing. And they also, we see when he's 12, we know that, that, that Joseph and Mary have brought him to Jerusalem and he's there again and, and he gets lost and all those things. But, but what we know is, is that Joseph, all we know is that Joseph was trying to do the right thing in everything we see. This is no different. So we can assume that, that Joseph was trying to do the right thing even in deciding to divorce Mary. But God steps in to make sure he doesn't go through with it. And you know, there's some of that for us today. That God will do the same for us. That he will help us in the midst of our lives, in the midst of places that we're walking and going, that, that as we're trying to follow him, as we're trying to listen to his voice, he will help us. 
He will show us what to do. He will, he will walk with us. Consider what Proverbs tells us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Psalm 143. Let me hear of your unfailing love each morning, for I am trusting you. Show me where to walk, for I give myself to you. Look, if we're willing to trust in the Lord, if we're willing to, to, to hear Jesus, if we're willing to hear him, him speak into our lives, he's willing to help us. He's willing to show us where to walk. Isaiah 30, 21. Verse of scripture that I prayed for a long time in the midst of a transitional moment in my life. Back in the early 90s, mid-90s. Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. Look, look, he is going to lead his people in the midst of living life. If we will trust him and acknowledge him, he will guide our lives. God directs the lives of people who aren't following him. He will surely direct the path of those who are trying. One of the things that I'm reminded of regularly, and my, my aunt reminded me of it yesterday, in, in, the, in the Muslim world, dreams are normal for people who become followers of Jesus. In fact, many of them, that's how they're experiencing who Jesus is today. That God is appearing, Jesus is appearing to people in the, in the Middle East and in Muslim nations through dreams because God is so willing for them to come to repentance. He so desires them to come to repentance. He is speaking to them. If God can maneuver ungodly kings and leaders to do his work, surely if we are willing to try and follow him, he's going to direct our path. It's a consistent theme throughout the pages of Scripture that the people who are wanting to be led by God, He will lead them. We all need to understand that doesn't mean it's easy. In the midst of everything, we must trust Him and listen to the Holy Spirit's direction. The message that Joseph is told by the angel, tells us that Jesus was sent to save his people from their sins. Now, Joseph, being a Jewish man, would have assumed his people would have meant the Jewish people, and it did, but it was bigger than that. Joseph would have known that a, a Messiah was coming, but no one knew when. Joseph nor Mary could have anticipated what this meant. We now know that Jesus came to save the world. 30 years later, Jesus communicates as he begins his ministry these words in John. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son to the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus began very quickly trying to get his followers to understand 
that he came to save the world, but they didn't grasp it. They struggled to understand it. You know, you and I, we need to have our hearts and our minds open to people who aren't like us and recognize that Jesus died for them as well. In fact, many of them that are not like us are probably the best candidates for salvation because they don't have it all together. They maybe are struggling. They're walking through difficult moments. They're, they're, they're not seeing all that they want to see. They're experiencing pain. And I'm not suggesting that coming to Jesus is going to solve all the pain, but coming to Jesus is going to bring hope because that's who Jesus is. He brings hope to the hopeless. I know that when I think of what Jesus did, he came to this world to save his people, to save us, to save others, to save the people walking this planet today. He's going to do whatever it takes to see that happen. And he wants to work through you and I. I know that God has placed me in situations and circumstances so that I can be a great example of who Jesus is. Look, there's enough bad examples, all right? And I said that that way. Look, my goal in life, as I live out my life in front of people who are not followers of Jesus, is to give them the best example of a follower of Christ that they're ever going to see. Now, now, am I going to be perfect? I'm going to be far from it. But the bottom line is, I think every one of us need to walk into this culture and in this time with a passion to reflect Christ in everything we do. Look, I'm gonna, I find myself in situations where I know people around me don't agree with my theology. They're going to struggle with some of the things that I would believe. Right? I mean, you see it on the news, right? Is anybody stunned that Chip and Joanna Gaines may not be supporters of same-sex marriage? That's a stunner. Is anybody surprised that the sky is blue? Okay, that's headline. Like, if you, if you look at what's here, if you look at the scriptures and you walk through that, when, when you see it, you're, you're going to see, we're not going to agree on everything. I'm not going to agree with the people around me all the time. Here's what I'm confident of. I have responsibility. Even when I disagree with the people around me, to love them, respect them, and show them Jesus. Like, that's my responsibility. I, and, and look, we're all going to have disagreements. We're going to have times where we don't agree on everything. We bring it right back to Jesus. Center it up on Jesus. Look, the most important message I can deliver in any circumstance, any situation I'm in is Jesus. Jesus came. He was born at Christmas, he died on a cross, and he was raised to life. That's the great message. Look, and if that's the message of Jesus, then I need to live the message of Jesus. And I've got to make sure that I reflect that in the conversations and places that I go. There are too many bad examples. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. That means you and I, we need to help be part of that process to save people 
from their sins. We're going to be a part of it. Look, my responsibility is pretty singular. I'm going to love people and reflect Christ to them everywhere I go, even if they don't agree with me, even if they think I'm crazy. I'm going to love them and reflect Christ. My thought is that the places I end up, the places that God leads me, the places where he has placed me, I need to be in. And he probably wants me to be the conduit through which he works to see his love and his message displayed. Joseph thought Mary, who was pledged to him in marriage, had committed adultery. He was willing to treat her better than the norm in the Jewish culture. There's a lesson in that for us. As followers of Jesus, we ought to treat people better than the norm of our culture. We ought to bless them. We ought to love them. Our interaction with people in our culture who don't believe like us or live like us is an opportunity to present Jesus. Not only did he come to save his people, but he came to save us. Look, every one of us needed saving. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Contrary to what we may hear in our culture today, there's no other way to heaven. Jesus said it, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other name by which we can be saved. Today, if you've walked in here and you're not a follower of Jesus, this is your day. I can't save you. This church can't save you. There isn't a person in this room that can save you. The only person that can save you is Jesus. Look, there's every one of us is guilty of sin. At some point in our lives, we've all been guilty. There's every one of us needs forgiveness. Today, if you're here, and you're not a follower of Jesus, or if you've gone your own way, today's your day to put your trust in him. Put your trust in Jesus, who is able to save you. He's also able to bring you hope in the midst of your life. In the midst of hopeless situations, he's able to bring hope. In the midst of difficulty, he's able to bring hope. It may not smooth it all out, but he will bring you hope. So my prayer this morning is, if you've walked in here, However you got here, maybe you've come before and you just never responded. Or whether this is your first time walking in the door, my prayer is you'll respond to the message of hope that's found in Jesus. He came at Christmas to save his people, to save us from our sins. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the prayer is that you will trust him in the midst of every situation, every circumstance of your life, that he will direct you, he will guide you, and you will hear a voice behind you saying, 
This is the way. Walk in it, whether to the right or to the left, because he will guide his people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you, God, for what you're doing and what you have done in all of our lives. Lord, this morning I pray for anyone that's in this room who is not a follower of Jesus or who is living their life in their own way and they need your help. Lord, would today be a day of change? Would today be a day of new beginnings? Would today be a day of hope? Lord, I'm praying that that would be the case for anyone who's walked in today with that situation. Lord, for everyone in the room that's a follower, God, I pray that they would commit themselves to hear your voice and listening for your direction in their lives. God, that, that all of us would know that you will lead your people and you'll go so far as you use divine intervention. Well, I realize that most of the time that's not going to be necessary. But Lord, you'll do what it takes to help us become the people that you need us to be in the places you want us to be in order to accomplish your work in our world. Lord, give us ears to hear. God, I pray that God, of our, our hearing has been stopped up by a history of either not listening or just not learning to hear. Sort of like the children of Israel giving up hope after hundreds of years of not hearing anything from the prophets. Lord, would we once again ask you to speak into our lives and Lord, that we'd hear your voice. God, we'd hear it clearly. This is the way. Walk in it. Whether to the right or to the left. Lord, this morning as we close this time, have your way. Lord, do miracles in people's lives this morning. Bring hope into people's lives today. Heal those who are sick. Set free the captive. Jesus name.